Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. In verse 7 of our Old Testament lesson from the book of Exodus, Exodus 3, verse 7 says this, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And God sees, God hears, God knows. And just a couple of other things about our God. As we, as we think about our God, first in Exodus 3, it talks about him, and he says, um, Take off your sandals, Moses, for you're standing on holy ground. Our God is holy, which means he's different than his creation, than we are. It means he's set apart. He is perfect in all of his ways, without sin. He is a holy God. And do you know what can't be in his presence? Sin. Do you know how scary that is for those that we know and love who do not know Jesus? Can they be with God? Because is there a person alive who's so great on their own that they don't need a Savior? Have you ever met one of them? I've never met one of them. I have had a couple of people try to tell me that they were that way, but I've never met one of them. Okay. So we have a holy God that Moses is standing for, and so that ground there, holy, set apart for him, special, sacred. And he goes. And he meets with God in this bush that doesn't burn up. And God says, okay, not only is he holy, but he's a God who gives hope. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am the God who's been the God in the past. And I'll be the God, as it says in verse 15. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered through all generations. He's the God who is from all creation, who exists and causes all to happen. That's who our God is. The God who is, I am who I am. The God who is and the God who causes all things to happen throughout history, for all time, from the distant past and forever. And this God provides us with hope because as we learn in our gospel lessons, it's just so neat how those are connected, okay, that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the God of the, of the dead, but of the living, for all things are living to him. Because God takes that which is dead and makes it alive. God takes us when we were dead in our sins and makes us alive in Christ Jesus. That's what God has done for us. And we rejoice, right? On a weekly basis, on a daily basis, hopefully throughout your day, you remember that awesome truth. But what I want you to think about is God sees, God, would you repeat those words with me? God sees, God hears, God knows, and God loves. And God loves. And so what does God love in order to do? And I want to go over a couple of things with us today. Uh, Roberto, I gave you a verse, that first one there is Romans chapter 8, 38 and 39. And it says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers... One more verse, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That love isn't just a generic love. It's a love that's centered in the person of Jesus who took on flesh, who lived your life for you perfectly, who died your death, who rose again to give you hope. Nothing, nothing, nothing separates you from his love. When you're anxious and stressed out, 
when you've blown it, when you're concerned about all these other things that are just too much for you, when you've been disobedient, nothing separates you from His love. And we can even go to John 3.16 to remember that, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right? God loves. Romans 8, 28 and 29 is another one I want you to see. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what's the good that God works? The good is that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. And we've talked about these things before. I I oftentimes feel like I'm just reminding you of things over and over and over again on a weekly basis. So if you're like, Pastor, I've heard all these things numerous times before, I'll be like, yay, you were listening. How awesome is that? Okay? So for those of you who haven't listened before, this might be your first time. So, okay, great. So the good he's doing is to conform us to the image of his son. So God sees, God hears, God knows all that's going on. He sees us like when Hagar, who was given by Sarai, Abram's wife, she, Sarai gave Hagar to Abram. He slept with her. They, she was pregnant, and then Sarah hated that, and so she sent her away. And it says in there, as God provided for Hagar, she called him the God who sees. When you th- read through the scriptures again and again and again, you'll see that our God is a God who sees. He's not blind to what's going on in our lives. He sees. And it says, and he hears. All these prayers that we offer, God is faithful to hear us in our time of struggle. And he knows what's happening. When Jesus is asked by those people, the religious leaders in the Gospels, he knows what's happening in their hearts. So he doesn't have to ask them questions. He can just speak right into what they're thinking, right into their tricks, right right into their traps. He can catch them and do what they need to have done to straighten them out. Our God sees, hears, and knows. And he loves us to deliver us. Now, he delivers us. Uh, Genesis 15. So it says that, that uh, God has delivered his people. And I just want to share this with you. It says in Genesis 15, so this is way before Moses was around. This is to Abram. As God first makes his promises to Abram, it says about God's people. Know for certain that your descendants, Abram, that you don't have any right now, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. 400 years. When we get to Exodus chapter 3 and, and following, what we see is that the people have been there 400 years. Just like God promised. God is loving. God is faithful. God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. So I want to take just a couple minutes with you today. And I want to focus on some promises of God. Because when you leave here, 
I don't want you just to say, well, that was interesting, <laughs> or even that was good. I want you to say, I got some tools for my tool belt. That now as I live, I know I can draw on some promises and I can use those for life. Because, you know, life is really easy. There's no stress. There's no conflict. There's no trouble, right? (laughs) Nothing bad ever happens. No one ever needs any promises to weigh in on and depend on for their life, right? No, no, no. That would be silly. But let's look at a couple of promises. What's the first one I gave you there, Roberto? I'm the vine, you are the branches. John 15, verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What's the promise there? We'll bear fruit. How? By trying super duper really hard. (laughs) By abiding. Oh, what does it mean to abide? To live with, to remain. Some scriptures call it to remain with him. To be with him. I would say it this way. To depend upon him moment by moment, day by day for everything. And I have a wonderful congregation, and I do. And you do that completely all the time, don't you? Why the laughter? Could this be an area of growth for us? Does anybody here want to be... Now, in John 15, the fruit that's being born, we can look at other things. It says the fruit of the Spirit is all these other things. But here in John 15, the fruit that's to be born is to love. If I just asked you to think about, is there anybody in your life that's hard to love? Is there any names that come immediately to mind? I saw a really vigorous head shake in the back somewhere. Okay, So... Yes, there are people that are somewhat hard for us to love. And you know what? God says, those are the ones I want you to love. Oh, and by the way, the only way you're going to be fruitful to love them is what? Oh, not try real hard? Oh, not expect them to change? Can you love someone by praying for them? Day after day, multiple times per day, week after week, month after month, year after year, will you be patient for God's time? And while you're patient for God's time, for God to fulfill his promise, will you recognize that while you're being faithful to pray, that God's actually bearing fruit through you? Because God keeps his promises. The first one we saw that I read to you was Romans 8, 38 and 39. Nothing separates you from his love. Do you ever rely on that promise? Do you ever fail and think of yourself as unlovable? Do you ever have those things that happen in your life, what Romans 8, 38, 39 talks about, and you think that certainly God's not for me right now, certainly God is gone, certainly all this bad stuff couldn't possibly be happening if God loved me. Do you ever need to review Romans 8, 38, 39 and remember that no matter what happens in life, you are loved? How about the second one? Oh, sorry. We'll look at that later. This is the one I wanted. Oh, put that. Go right back. You're great. Okay. Let's look at this one. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Anybody experience temptations this week? Only me? That's weird. Oh, okay. There's one over there. A couple of you did. 
for the rest of you, could you stop by my office later? I wonder how you do that. <laughs> that is just amazing. Okay? I get tempted like all the time, every day, all sorts of... You're right, I must be really bad. Wow. But look here. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. And where is that again? That's 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. If you look at this, it doesn't say he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Therefore, it's all up to you. He's not going to tempt you beyond your ability, so you're strong enough. Anybody old enough to remember that Saturday Night Live? We're here to pump you up, you big guys. <laughs> Who were those two guys? Hans and Franz. Hans and Franz. <laughs> you can just picture that. When you get the verse wrong, it's like Hans and Franz, okay? No, you're not Hans, you're not Franz, and you're not strong enough to pump everybody up. What you are is loved by Jesus, who he is the one who provides the way of escape. He's the one who's strong, as Milton just said. He is the one. So do we look to him? He made a promise. He says, in the middle of that, your temptation, whatever you're dealing with, is not unusual. It's common. It's all over the place. And in the middle of that, do you remember the promise? He'll make a way of escape if you turn to him. And you might be saying, I have turned to him over and over and over again, and he hasn't helped me out. I hear you. Don't miss the second half of the message. Don't worry. It's a short half. So God loves by keeping his promises. But you know, that's not the only thing. If we go... To 2 Corinthians chapter 12, here's another time when deliverance was sought. To keep me from becoming conceited, Paul says, because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of, it, how many of us have heard God say no to us repeatedly? And how many of us Use that repeated no as a way of saying Romans 8, 38, 39 is not right. How many of us hear the no as a way of saying God's not loving, God's not present, God's not for me, God's not... And how many of us actually do what Paul says? I struggle to do what Paul says. Paul says, I delight in God's no because it's his way of saying His grace is sufficient for me. What if your circumstance doesn't change, but God wants to change you? 
Is God's grace sufficient for you? Will you be okay if things don't change? Will you be okay if God has to use this difficulty to continue to put you to death so he might raise up a new you? Because I wonder if there's still some conforming to Christ work that needs to be done in your life. A couple of you in the back probably like, no, I'm already there. Okay? But the rest of us are like, eh, there's probably some room for me to grow. And so if there's some room for me to grow, is it okay if God says no? Is it okay? In the middle of that being okay, just recognize what you're setting yourselves up for. God gets to be God. God gets to call the shots. When you don't understand life like Job, he cried out to God saying, I didn't do anything to deserve this. Come down and help me understand why this is going on. And you know what? God did come down. But he never once explained what was going on. Remember how I've told you before, I never took the time when I was in high school to teach my pigs algebra? (laughs) Because they would never get it. I wonder if the things that happen in our lives are so complex, so big, there's so many intricate things tied together that we're just not ever going to get it. And so we just let God's no be sufficient. We trust the one who sent his son to die for us to show his love. And we remember that he's using this to help us grow to be like Jesus, humbling us, fulfilling us with his presence, not our desires. God sees, God hears, God knows, and God doesn't answer my issue when I want him to. One last thought. Do you think the Israelites have been crying out for a a long time? Do you think some of them died without God delivering them? I do too. Does that mean God's a bad God? No. Hebrews 11 is what I wanted to share with you. And Hebrews 11 is... My second to last Bible verse, don't worry, we're almost there. It says this. All these people, and Hebrews 11 is a chapter of the, of the heroes of the faith, Noah, Abraham, Enoch, um, Abel, all these. And it says this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Hebrews 11, verse 13. Can we expand our vision? God sees, God hears, God knows all that's going on with my heart. Dear Jesus, you take it. Now help me fix my eyes on things that are greater, that are bigger, that are part of the creation, fall, redemption, restoration. They're part of the great big plan. So that what I really long for isn't to get my way. 
isn't to have this thing happen right now, but that I might lift my eyes to see I want God to be glorified and I want to live and reign with him one day forever. And everything else in my life pales in comparison to that because I know that my God loves me and he's got that in hand. And he's working through all of this to conform me to the image of Jesus. The final verse I want you to hear today is from Psalm 16, verse 8. Psalm 16, verse 8 says this, I have set the Lord always before me because he is my right hand, I will not be shaken. And the longer I do ministry, the more I think that this is important. Jesus is right here. He's surrounding me. He's super close. But you know what? I can't see either hand. Because the Lord is right before me. You know why we live in community? So that we can help each other bring Jesus to the front and center. How many of you can live a whole day with Jesus right here, but you don't see him, you don't notice him, and he's not a part of the decisions you make? How many of you have friends like that? Are you in their lives so you can remind them that God sees, God hears, God knows, and God loves to deliver them by putting you in their life to bring Jesus in the forefront? If that's what you did, wouldn't your life be awesome? I was looking for a different response. Wouldn't your life be awesome? Yes. Amen?